0: Hi there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this week's episode, I sat down with Aaron Koenig during the United Equipment Dealers Association annual convention in Louisville. Koenig Equipment is a 15-store John Deere dealership in Ohio and Indiana. Now in its 116th year, the business was started by Aaron's great-grandfather, John C. Koenig, as Botkin's Hardware Store. From a hardware store that sold everything and traded in horses for implements, to a number of changes in major lines, from International Harvester to John Deere, and then both Deere and Case IH, and now back to being just Deere, the organization has seen a number of changes in its history. But one thing that's remained the same is the family involvement.
1: Oftentimes people ask us about the success of our dealership, and. As I tell them, we've got great customers, we've got great products, great employees, great processes. But I think what's made us successful is that we operate the business like a business. It's professionally managed.
0: That was Aaron talking about how the family has always been very focused on running the business at a professional level and making sure they approach decisions from a business standpoint while still keeping family in the business. Before we head over to Aaron, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. We'll jump into the conversation with Aaron sharing how the business first got started. This is the R-Dealer story of Koenig Equipment.
1: The original name of our company was actually the Bakians Hardware Company and it was started by my great grandfather, John C. Koenig, in 1904. In his previous career, he was what was called a blockman for McCormick Deering, and he was based out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. But the travel was such, and it was difficult in those days, so he wanted to be closer to home, so he acquired uh, the assets of the Bakken's Hardware Company, and that was our first generation. And then he sold everything from coal to dynamite to uh, eventually appliances, And uh, when he first got into the implement business, he was, you know, literally trading in horses on implements. And then eventually uh, my grandfather and his twin brothers got involved in the business. So they were three of five siblings. Uh, The other two siblings had other aspirations. And they operated the business for 30 plus years. And then the first two in the third generation to come back were my Uncle Ray and my Uncle Ken. Uh, and they came back to the dealership, actually incorporated it in nineteen
0: seventy five so starting as this hardware everything mm-hmm. store in nineteen o four how did it was it a gradual transition where things slowly what was being sold slowly kind of dropped off and focused on
1: yeah i think I think it was all born out of um, necessity in some ways so when you when you've got a hardware store in a small town, you know you have to have everything because you're the ones, yeah, there's a grocer, you know, (laughs) there's somebody that's, that's making saddles and other things like that. And then, you know, there's the hardware store and, and we have plenty of anecdotal stories about the things they sold and the things that happened. And there's pictures and people are there shopping and they're in full suit and tie. And, you know, they're just dressed to the hilt because they're in town shopping. Right. Um, But so he provided everything to everyone, but then, um, then there was this need for, you know, as, as horses went away and, and powered equipment was coming in, there was all of a sudden this need for equipment. Well, who better to do that than the hardware store where everybody was already coming for everything yeah. anyway, so they would just go there. And then that transitioned eventually into where, you know, people began to specialize. Well, so we're now selling wash washtubs and, and refrigerators, and that's all we do. And so we got out of that business, and okay. we got more into the, to the hardware and then the equipment business. Well, then we get the Lowe's and the Home Depot's of the world, or the, you know, the Ace Hardwares Ace of the or, world, yeah. and they're selling the hardware, and we're no longer the first place for hardware. So then we get out of hardware, and we get into lawn and garden equipment, still have the ag equipment. And so that's kind of happening between Generation 2 and 3. Okay. And then 3 gets in the business, and at that time, con- combines were a completely separate contract and you had to have certain capability to even have a combine contract so my uncles had to make a decision we've got to build buildings bigger buildings so we can get a combine contract so we can service these customers so that was the decision that they made
0: and generation three came in
1: in the mid-1970s and there that was Ray was returning from Harvard and from the military and I had my uncle Ken was returning from the military and the rest of the kids were either just graduating school or maybe in college or whatever. And then uh, one by one, they they worked their way back to the business. And it was then that we really began to focus on the implement and equipment side of the business. During my grandpa's generation, we were primarily International Harvester. Uh, They were the dominant brand in those days. Story goes that uh, everything came on train cars and the John Deere stuff, we started selling some John Deere stuff and it just the pieces were there, they fit together better and so we took a liking to John Deere at that time and so uh, during that third generation um, we began to professionalize and specialize and, and really started to grow started to acquire smaller dealerships and consolidate. There was a time when there were seven, eight, nine dealerships in one county. And we got to the point where there was only us in in our county. I think all the kids growing up had some role in the dealership, but eventually in generation three, it came back into one family. So my uncle's and aunt acquired assets from the f- the three brothers and they were all descendants of emerson who was my grandfather and then i was the first in the fourth generation to get involved in the business uh, full-time in 1999 and uh, we've been really in growth mode pretty steadily since then
0: and your parents weren't involved in the business at all it's just uncles and uh, well aunt.
1: i did my father is involved he is my okay. father's involved right uh, and As it is today, I have uh, three uncles and aunt and my dad involved in the dealership. But oftentimes people ask us about the success of our dealership and as I tell them, we've got great customers, we've got great products, great employees, great processes. But I think what's made us successful is that we operate the business like a business. Uh, It's professionally managed. We believe very strongly in governance. So one of the things that Generation 3 did that I thought was fantastic was they um, established an independent uh, fiduciary board of directors. That was a big step for us. It really helped us achieve our goal of professionalizing the dealership. When we uh, did that we also established a family constitution and the family constitution's been fantastic because it does a lot of things, not the least of which is established family employment policy. So it helps guide uh, people like me, my decision-making in terms of who's involved in the business and how they get involved in the business. And so we wanna main, uh, my Uncle Ray likes to say, we wanna be professionally managed, but we wanna keep family in the family business. So that's what we do.
0: So is that sort of like if one of your kids or a niece or a nephew, mm-hmm. that fifth generation wants to get involved, yes. there's steps they need to take to get certain criteria to a leadership role or whatever.
1: Correct. So if they wanna come in at, at an operational level as a technician or a parts person, as long as they have the appropriate training and they meet the appropriate employment requirements, they can come in. But if they want to be in a leadership position, uh, they have to have established a career outside of the dealership. They have to have a certain number of career advancements. They have to have worked for so many years. Um, and then family is nothing more than a tiebreaker at that point. Uh, for example, they can't work for their another family member or can't report directly to, say, a father or a brother or something of that nature. Uh, we would like a line of separation. And and a family member can't be the last decision maker in terms of the hire. That has to be someone not in the family. So things like that, the independent uh, board has really brought a lot of value to the dealership and helps us separate in our mind, you know, the decisions that need to be made and and what criteria to use to make them, so.
0: Is there anyone in that fifth generation
1: in the the business yet? No, no, no. No. Um, there are, uh, seven of us currently in the fourth generation okay. and the fifth generation is um, there's college age and slightly okay, older so kids, um, but none have shown a, a genuine interest in coming back. Uh, one of the things we do to cultivate that is we have what's called a, um, a family uh, gathering which is every fifth or sixth year we bring the entire family together, all the uh, descendants of my grandfather, Emerson Koenig, uh, and we celebrate the family and the family business. Last time, for example, you know, we had a coloring book with some of the history, and so just to get kids interested in that, but yeah. um, generally what has happened is as people go away and establish other careers, the desire to come back wanes, right. uh, and so by the time they meet the Constitution requirements, they're sometimes they're disinterested. Ready to come home. They're, um, they're They're not. They're not ready. They're, I've moved on. I've got a life. I've established this. I've been okay. gone for five years. I'd have to sacrifice to come back, okay. and why would I? Why would I do that? So those that have come back, my brother, as an example, um, they're coming back for the right reason. They're coming back because they want to contribute to the family business legacy, yeah. rather than a paycheck or something else. Right. Yeah. So in terms of generation, for there, there are two of us that are in what I would call leadership positions. Okay. Um, the rest are in in operational or support positions um, currently. So so. We believe very strongly in um, outside management. Mm-hmm. So one of the things Generation Three did for Generation Four was hired some outside executives to come in with that had, say, marketing or operations expertise, so they could help me run the business mm-hmm. and learn. We made an investment in a, a CEO who, our CEO, excuse me, COO who is uh, who has ex- lean experience, came from the automotive industry. Okay. So he helped us with our dealership operations and. Process documentation and all um, continuous improvement yeah. things like that. Streamlining things. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: What have been some of the challenges you guys have faced? As you know, some families work very well together. Mm-hmm. Some don't work right. <laughs> well together at all. Where do you guys?
1: Well, of fall think on
0: that spectrum,
1: we've been we've been very fortunate in that I look at generation three and just the personalities were different and that talents were such that they were very complementary. There weren't okay. competing interests per se. Yeah. Everybody kind of fit in well and we've seen that so far in generation four. But the nice thing is we do have all these things in place. We do have the family constitution in place. We have the independent board. Quite honestly, we made an acquisition two years ago, a rather large acquisition, so there was a lot of bandwidth was tied up just trying to merge these two companies together or acquire this, this company. and we weren't doing as well as we wanted to do quite frankly financially but there was a situation where the generation 3 is saying hey you know we've we withheld requesting redemptions for quite some time we'd like some redemption and we're saying well we don't quite have the earnings to fund that right now and so there was the potential for this conflict yeah right but fortunately we had some agreements in place we go to the letter of the law and the board has a certain level of decision making and they give us guidance you know they helped us work through that situation yeah. so having that in place has helped us get along well you know have we had um, some instances where family members did not agree with what we were doing sure right. Uh and we found ways to exit them from the business in a way that that suited everyone right. and I can say that those that have left the business are happier now than they were when they were <laughs> when in the business were, yeah. uh, and so it's it's worked really well um, now that challenge only intensifies as the family continues to spread my uncle ray would say hey you know i had it easy because we all had one mom so when there was a disagreement we could get mom involved now when you're dealing with cousins and nephews and nieces um there's more moms and dads involved and Mm -hmm. so the, the conversations are a little more difficult
0: yeah
1: um but so far so good but if you go through the history of our dealership i think it's sort of unique. I mentioned that in generation one we were international harvester. Mm -hmm. In generation two we added John Deere to the mix. Then in generation three we were a rather large John Deere dealer at the time in 2002 that we acquired three Case IH dealerships and then three more six years later. So for a period of 15 years, we were both a John Deere dealer, scale, and a case IH. It was IH. that long. Yeah. I was, was going to ask about
0: 2002
1: to 2017, yeah, we were a, a dealer of, of scale in both. Yeah. Um, and then in 2015, I started to get involved a bit more in leadership, and the board of directors voted me a CEO. And so in 2017, I made a decision to go with one brand or the other, yeah. and, and I chose John Deere in that particular case. And, and so since then, we've acquired now seven more locations we're up to 15 total
0: we'll get back to the canning equipment story in a minute but first i wanted to say thanks to hbs systems the sponsor of this series to learn more about hbs's equipment dealership management systems visit www.hbsystems.com. after that head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news and to learn more about the next Dealership Mind Summit and to register, visit www.dealershipmindsummit.com. Now back to the story of Cane Equipment and how for about 15 years, the dealership had both John Deere and Case IH stores. You guys are the only dealership that I am aware of that has had that situation where you were both John Deere and, and Case IH.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How does it work? I mean, like yeah, it's, it's sure. very unique and unusual well, that either of them allowed it <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: right right well at the end of the day we we are independent dealers right, right. The the contract uh, might read to the contrary sure. <laughs> uh, but we are independent dealers and it was really a situation where we had made a, a decision as a family um, that we wanted to grow that we knew it was either growth or death and so we decided we're, we're going to grow and we had approached John Deere about opportunities that they had and for whatever reason we we couldn't get together on those opportunities, okay. so uh, we reached out to others, saying we you know the only business we know is this business. We don't want to get into another business, and we thought there might be a model much like the automotive model, where you know you have these automotive malls and you have everything right. or lots of things, yes. um, and we thought that that might be an opportunity. Uh, and so we took the, the calculated risk to go with Case IH. and the stores we acquired were the last three company-owned stores in uh, North America is what I believe to be the case I was not directly involved in that so it it was interesting Deer's response was you know as you can imagine but we worked through that over some time and and we from the very beginning said hey we're not gonna share secrets about one with the other and and we just kept them separate
0: so you had at one point some stores in Indiana, some stores in Ohio.
1: Yes, they were. It
0: was the separation by brand also by yes, state?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, and there was a line of of counties that. So we had no overlapping geography. Okay. There was no geography where I had both Deer and Case in the same geography. Right. You we, weren't
0: competing against. I wasn't yourself. competing against
1: myself. Right. It was completely separate. The management was centralized, but the dealerships operated completely separate. To the point where we we didn't even if parts transferred, for example, it was quite an exercise to get them transferred. It wasn't okay. simply as a location change. We had to do accounting and all those other things. Right. So they were they were operated as, as separate companies. It
0: wasn't case and deer equipment in the same store and stuff like that. Right, it was right. totally separate.
1: Yep, financials were kept separate and just um, brought together. Um, for the company but right. reported but you were separately. able to report
0: separately to each mm-hmm. of them mm-hmm.
1: and we just allocated we caught anything uh, where we were sharing like HR or marketing or things like that we called them shared resources and we allocated based on okay. sales for okay. each one
0: was it just a simplification is not really the word I want but I can't think of the word I want but uh-huh. a simplification of the business almost to go to one making the decision to go just John Deere versus yeah having it, both.
1: It really you know this is I'm not throwing shade at either company but both you know would give us an opportunity no less than once a year to talk to leadership and they would talk to us about their plans for the future and for me i was simply i felt more comfortable with the direction that deer was going i thought it aligned more with the strengths of our organization and so it was as simple as saying hey if there's opportunity for growth i want to go that route and so Fortunately, there was a path towards growth that was tangible, and so i said let let's let's take that risk and and go with one company but you know we never used one against the other, and both would say well what's what's the other guy doing?" And we would say, "Well, what do you think they're doing well, we think we're doing this well that's what they're doing you know yeah. <laughs> there's no secrets here yeah. it's um, they're publicly traded there's most of the information is out there. so it one of our we have six core values one of our core values is courage and um Peter Drucker, several of his books are in our, our library at our Shared Resource Center, and he talks about courage and how every time you see a successful business, someone at some point made a courageous decision. And for Generation 3 to make the decision that they made in 2002 to acquire IH was very courageous. I yeah. saw the stress that my dad was going through it, and, and uncles and aunt were going through as they made this decision, um, but it was equally stressful for me to make the other decision to go all green just because of the relationships we had built within CNH and the employees that right. we had and uh, the customers and um, we had made a significant investment in, in real estate and all kinds of things mm-hmm. so it was it was difficult but I uh, felt like it was the right move for the long-term health right. of the business.
0: It wasn't a decision that was made lightly?
1: No, over over many many months. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: As a kid in the business what sort of memories do you have were you around your dad and grandpa and aunts and
1: uncles? Um, So my first memories of the business were with my grandfather um, and there was a creek we built a store, um, we acquired some land in 1970 something I don't know the exact year but ended up building a building in 1980 and of course you know what happened in the early 80s they were stretched very thin and put in a very difficult situation uh, but with loyal employees and loyal customers, they survived. And so a lot of the things that needed done around the building in terms of maintenance were done by the family or the employees after hours on their own time. And my grandfather would spend his weekends uh, maintaining a creek behind the building. And he would basically flag me down at the swimming pool or the baseball field, wherever I was and say, "Hey." let's go to work and I say you know what's in it for me
0: right <laughs> <laughs> well
1: all the change in my ashtray okay and fine front, let's yeah. go I can buy a lot of Swedish fish with that change so he would take me uh, to the creek and we would mow and uh, by hand on this steep incline yeah. and my fondest memories were um, we had uh, a lot of gophers or moles or whatever they were and he would we would pour gas down the hole and throw a match and watch them <laughs> run out you know so that was that was great fun um, so that was my first memory. Later on, it was, I kind of associated with like misery because I, uh, you know, Hey, instead of doing this, you're going to go pull weeds and rake rocks and, you know, wash off equipment. Right. And, uh, by the way, you're going to get paid with, by, with Dr. Pepper when all is said and done. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's um, not
0: great from the change, I guess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so growing up, I'm, I'm thinking, well, uh, I don't, know that there's much in this business for me it's just a John Deere store you know who yeah. cares so I'm gonna do something else with with my life so I went to college um, with the intention of uh, becoming a physician Okay. Uh, and I was actually working preparing to go to medical school was working for the, um, the local utility company um, in a sort of a management capacity and and my uncle Ray approached me and said hey no one's showing any interest in the business in your generation and you've done well in school and would you be interested in coming back to the business uh, rather than pursuing a medical career and I said no, no I wouldn't. Um, And then he continued to work on me and and said you know there's more to this business than you know. And uh, Ray, um, my uncle was was our, our previous CEO, he was a Harvard graduate. He actually spent some time working at Deer. Had been a, a CEO of a, of a small hospital, uh-huh. um, so he had some professional experiences that really in- intrigued me. And I thought, wow, there's much more to this dealership than I realized, yeah. and there's much more potential long-term for me to be part of this family business legacy. So I, I made the decision to to, to leave medical school, you know, quit doing what I was doing with the uh, the utility company, and come to work at the dealership um, and give it a try. Mm-hmm. And I. I've never looked back since so
0: what were you doing when you came back initially what sort of role were you Uh, in?
1: Basically I was a fleet manager so the utility companies have all these trucks all over the place my job was to keep track of them make sure the maintenance was was done and and um, the people had what they needed when they needed it okay so
0: and then when you got came back to the dealership though what was your
1: in that capacity I was selling I was selling turf equipment okay uh, to start um, and then I was managing inventories and then I was managing inventories and a sales staff. And then it was used inventory. Uh, and then it was branch operations. Okay. So, unbeknownst to me, um, my uncle had a plan. Um, and uh, about, I don't know, four years in, he finally communicated that plan to me. And formally, as part of some succession planning that we did as a family, we established a nine year plan of transition where he would, uh, I would take on increasing responsibility over a nine year period and he would then slowly transition out of the dealership and so that's what we did so I took on a variety of roles and and um, got the board's approval and the rest is uh, rest is history so I had a short stint as president not CEO and then two years later I was president and CEO Mm -hmm.
0: there's seven of you you said right now in family Mm -hmm. is ownership split among those seven or is it
1: no uh, it's not Um, and I would say that's one area where we still have a challenge in front of us because a vast vast majority of the ownership shares are still in the gener- generation three, who okay. is quickly approaching retirement. Yeah. And so it's very important that the business continue to do well so that we can fund the succession. But as of right now, generation four is is um, less than 10 percent okay. of the ownership.
0: How has, as you guys have Acquired stores and grown. Mm-hmm. How has bringing those other companies on and getting them on board with your culture and how's that changed over the years? Or
1: well, how um, do you manage that? Me personally, I, I've I've just been involved in um, two very small acquisitions and one large acquisition. So one where we nearly doubled the size of our company, mm-hmm. and then two small, and they all have their their unique challenges, but. We have very clear core values that define our company and the things that we value. Mm-hmm. So uh, we communicate those and they, they either resonate with people or they do not. Right. And then we're also very um, high on um, individual accountability okay. and, and process. Once we communicate that, then oftentimes people self-select and say, I don't know that this is yeah. for me. I, I kind of like doing whatever I want to do. Okay, well then that's not, we're not the right company for you. Um, so we've gone through uh, some of those some of those challenges, um, and um, but you know our our goal going in is always um, employment continuity. If we if we can provide that for the people, for the customers, for our, for ourselves, that's good. But as I said, uh, being clear about what we value. Um, oftentimes makes the decisions very easy if, if people are gonna stay or go and then the customers you know, they're always a little unsure and it's up to you to show them that you're in it for them as well as for yourself and that transactions are of mutual advantage so there's benefit for them and and there has to be benefit for the company and yeah um, so it, it's worked well you know with different tactics and how we communicate the change and how we how we uh, embrace customers but we're learning as we go I I don't have a perfect formula that's that's for sure
0: yeah the business today do you think it's anything that your great-grandfather would have ever imagined that it would have turned into what it is
1: no I I I can't imagine he he would have but I will say that I talked about um you know the things we've done in the way of governance an interesting thing that he did is we still have the original sales agreement um that he when he sold the business to his three sons. and the interesting thing is that he had all the, his children sign it, even those that weren't participating. So no one could say, "Hey, I, I didn't, didn't know this chance. was going to go." Yeah. You know what? I had no no opportunity. So we use that as a guiding light in the way that we communicate and how we we do manage our business. So um, he really set a precedent. We also like to talk. We you know we talk about lean and continuous improvement. And we my uncles describe how he would you know did he was meticulous with everything, and when we would assemble equipment you know the, the bolts were square in those days mm-hmm. and he would say everything's square to the world so everything had to be level and so I don't know how much extra time that required but right. <laughs> but you knew it was assembled correctly so I, I think that uh, we're just very proud of our heritage and our leg- family business legacy And but you know you have to dream big as well I, I look at when I first got more active in the, the leadership in the organization was in the early 2000s, 2003 and we had a family retreat where we brought in a a facilitator and he helped us lay out our 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 vision for the future and we called it our 2020 vision and we wanted to have so many locations and so much in revenue back then and um it came to fruition so we're
0: here we are 2020 (laughs) did you So
1: we so we're short on the locations but we're ahead of the revenue target so um you know, and we we were we thought we were dreaming big. We thought we were shooting for the stars at yeah. that point. And he challenged to say, I don't think you're dreaming large enough. You can do more than that. Uh, but we, we were able to achieve it without even know that we were achieving it. Yeah. And we still have employees today who were with us then who talk about this 2020 vision and how we actually accomplished it. In fact, we're going through a strategy uh, renewal this summer to try and set our, our 2040 uh, aspirations.
0: What sort of role... Does your board play in in mm-hmm. how you guys are running the business, and when do you go to them versus
1: yeah, it's so, staying internal? Yeah, great great question. So first of all, I just want to say that our, our board is made up of experienced people with complementary skill sets and expertise that okay. maybe I don't have on my staff, for example, okay. or can't afford to have on my staff. <laughs> uh, but um, and I and I we pay them a fair rate to be on the board, um, okay. and so they they contribute. Well, not because we're paying them an exorbitant amount of money, but because they want to contribute and CSB is successful. Um, but in our case, the board um, does things like, um, well, number one, they hire and fire me. So they decide uh, if I'm going to be here and what I'm going to make and if I'm doing a good job or not. Okay. Um, they also approve our strategy. Uh, they approve our budget. Um, they approve capital purchases and acquisitions of a certain certain value. When do I go to them when I'm, when I'm struggling with, with uh, difficult decisions that have the potential to impact the business you know, more than, say, a, a year or two out? You know One example is where they were very, very helpful was, God love John Deere, but they, they're big on this purity thing, right? right. This idea that um, you need to represent deer and only deer in the products that they have and um, we faced a difficult decision where it was you're going to sacrifice these incentives if you don't give up these competitive brands and our board said don't listen to the manufacturer listen to your customers what are your customers saying what do they want yeah and they wanted choice and so we forwent the additional uh, incentives and we kept our competitive uh, brands uh, and we still sell them today and they're still after us to get right. <laughs> to move on, uh, but we've got a loyal customer base and associated with those products. And so the board helped me decide that. Yeah, I, I couldn't have done that without their encouragement. Similarly, I talked about this redemption thing where we had to balance, um, you know, the uh, the capital structure of the business with the desires of some of our shareholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were able to work out a compromise, and, and the board was the reason that we could work out that compromise. Okay
0: they sort of almost a checks and balance to the
1: they business. are they are they also help us with things like networking so hey we're facing this problem or we always keep our eye out eye open to the possibility of investment from the outside mm-hmm. you know is that our preference no but if that's what's required for us to continue to grow the business then we're gonna entertain that. so they may have connections that you know why well, know this person or that person and I'll I'll connect you okay. um, there's a company in our area called Mike's Car Wash that's uh, really grown. They're, they were originally uh, based in, I believe, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and now they're in. They've got a place in Cincinnati, and they're really growing. But they're a family business, are like ours. So they connected us with them and say, "Well, what challenges do you face?" Yeah. You wouldn't think the two industries would have any much in common, but there was a lot in common. Yeah. So just things like that that they help us with.
0: What do you think's ahead?
1: Well, I guess I always wonder about what role does the independent dealer group have in the in the future of the the OEMs, Mm -hmm. what do they see for us? So they're they're telling us we're an important part of the future and they're telling us they're committed to us. Do I wanna believe that? Yes, do I believe it? I'm gonna say I do. I hope that that, that that's uh, the truth. But whatever the case, the opportunities that exist uh, in terms of us being a more critical component of our customer's operations. So I, I look at what's happened over the last 30, 40 years and the chemical companies, the seed companies, they've gotten a closer seat at the table, better seat at the table with the customer than have the equipment manufacturers in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They're more directly involved in in, in some of the customer decision making in the operation and we have a real opportunity with our machinery to get a similar seat at the table if that makes sense and yeah. get more involved, particularly as we look at agriculture becoming more sustainable. Whether that's environmentally sustainable or, or from a profitability point of view, I think we. We would call it mechanization. We've got a role to play, and um, there's a value story there that's not being told today. That I'm excited to tell uh, in my generation. So, you know, how does the changes in technology influence the customer? How do they change our business? I do worry about you know artificial intelligence and some of the the automation that goes on. Yeah. Are the manufacturers so big that they can't necessarily capitalize on the opportunity because they're not nimble enough? And yeah. could someone else, you know, who's going to be the the You know what's going to be the paradigm shift, and are we going to be in a position to play in that? So there's a lot to come in my lifetime, in my career. So I'm excited about the future. I do think consolidation is is necessary of -hmm. the dealers. I just I'd like to be a part of that consolidation. Right. Um, In terms of not getting rolled up, but rolling up. Yeah. So I'd like to maintain the the family name. So you know our challenge is that's part of the reason we have to grow the business though is too is that we'd like to provide opportunity for those that have interest in, mm-hmm. in the fifth and sixth generation. And I reflect back on when I came to work in the dealership in 1999, actually 1997 in, in a sort of a part-time capacity. But my uncle said then, um, if you come back to the dealership, you're coming back for one reason, and that's family business continuity. And so that's that's stuck with me ever since.
0: That's pretty good. So then now you've got to find that Yep. You have to have that similar conversation where you convince the next.
1: I and it's coming. You know, uh, it it needs to start happening soon. You know, if we have a similar nine or ten year transition period, right? Then yeah, we've got we've got to get going on that.
0: Right. You're not exactly nearing retirement, but no. But if you want to have that sort of nine or ten year.
1: Correct. Well, and there are other. the reason Yeah, I think it's just to me it makes sense. You know, some companies require that. CEO or directors change with some frequency right mm-hmm. and I and I, th- I think that's healthy for a company just to get new ideas and new leadership so uh, the last thing I want to do is is be in this chair forever uh, and and have others wanting to contribute at a higher level or or change you know need to get as many opinions out there as we can in terms of where we take this thing yeah somebody's got to make the decision at the end of the day but um, someone else deserves an opportunity as well
0: Thanks so much to Aaron Koenig for taking the time to sit down and share Koenig Equipment's story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on this series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lestermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Aaron Koenig. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt. Signing out of the RDL or story podcast.